and welcome to Just One Cornetto, a podcast discussing all things Greenock Morton. My name is Dean McKinnon and I am your host. Just One Cornetto is brought to you in association with themortonforum.com, your hub for the latest Morton news, analysis and debate. You can reach us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at The Morton Forum. All participants on this podcast do so in an entirely personal capacity and as such their views are entirely personal to them. Just a quick warning that this podcast may contain a bit of adult language. Thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. Just one cornetto, give it to me, delicious ice cream, oh me Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Just One Cornetto, brought to you in association with the Inverclyde Boiler Company and Donata Replica Football Shirts. What a game. Morton battled back from 2-1 down with 10 men to snatch a point at home to Inverness. Sean McGinty opened the scoring with a cracking half volley after Marcus Fajotov headed down an Aidan Nesbitt free kick. Inverness pegged back immediately through Shane Sutherland. The Highland side took the lead 14 minutes later through Daniel Mackay after Inverness won the ball in midfield from a McAdams goal kick and took advantage of some sloppy defending. Joining me to analyse the game, we have Craig Dunning. Craig, thank you very much for joining us. How are you? I'm good. Cheers. Yourself? Aye. We're not going to be short of talking points tonight. We had four goals, a red card, two disallowed goals, two or three penalty shouts. Um, where did we start? Uh, yeah, it was just a stupid game of football, wasn't it? I don't. I genuinely don't know where to start with that. Did you want to? What were your I, thoughts on the opening goal? Well, uh, yeah, the, the intensity of the first you know, two and a half minutes from Morton was pretty ridiculous. Uh, you know, we just absolutely flew at them. Cali Thistle literally had not had possession at the point that we scored. They had. They had. I think they had touched the ball twice on both occasions. Both occasions being. Headers putting out. Aye, exactly. <laughs> so, and yeah, it's a very, it's a very well taken goal. Uh, it's good to see us actually picking up a second ball from a corner. It's, it's not, it's not the first time we've, we've scored a goal like that this season. Well taken by McGinty, but then it's so sloppy to concede a goal like that. Yes, essentially, yes. It's essentially straight from kickoff. You just, you just can't justify it. And for for all that you know, if you're a Cali Thistle fan, you're going to be absolutely seething, uh, conceding a goal, bef- literally before you even had possession of the game. The goal, uh, the, the equaliser was a hell of a lot worse than worse from a defensive perspective than than ours was for from theirs. The equaliser, I thought the equaliser was, as you said, it was really poor defending. McGinty's position and McGinty gets dragged out too easily. He doesn't deal with it at all. The first time that I'd watched it, I was actually going mental because I thought it was Omar that lost his man. Yep, exact same. <laughs> and it was only at the, I think it was the halftime replay or one of the replays just after a, a break in play that you realise, oh no, that, that was McGinty's man. In a more kind of general point, it was something that I'd put down in my notes, but we looked solid with McLean and McGinty at centre-back. Fijotov comes in, is that too simplistic a comparison to say we looked solid and then Fijotov came in? I'm not sure you can directly blame McLean out Fjotov in for this because Fjotov was actually fine tonight. 
if you both Cali Thistle goals ultimately stem from McGinty. And as someone who was a gigantic critic of McGinty last season, he has massively improved this season. But tonight, yeah, he, especially in the first half, he had an absolute nightmare. I think both goals ultimately come down to McGinty. Yeah, possibly McGinty and Fjordhoff are both players who who need a more experienced player beside them. And so you've got to drop one of them out. At this point, though, I wouldn't go back to McLean and McGinty. If you were putting McLean back in, I would be putting them in. I would be putting them for, for McGinty, not for Fjordhoff. Yeah, that was probably the, the question that I was kind of trying to stumble towards there. We would, I think we would be a lot more solid if it was for Fjordhoff there. I think it's clear for, for everyone to see that there is some raw potential in Fjordhoff, but there is some development that needs to be made there. I think we're going to see more out of him if McLean is next to him. But as you said, Fijotov was absolutely fine tonight, contributed well in an attacking sense and dealt with everything that came his way defensively. We'll go on then to talk about the Cali Thistle's second goal. Kick out from McAdams. Cali Thistle win the, the aerial battle. Break forward quickly and again, it's it's a sloppy defensive goal. What did you make of it? It's just far too easy. Again, watching it live, at first I thought, what the hell's McAdams doing? Thinking, why is he out there? And yeah, McAdams does have his, have his position wrong. But again, it's McGinty doesn't seem to actually know where the centre-forward he's supposed to be marking is. Yeah. You know, ultimately, if, if a centre-back does his job properly there, the goalkeeper doesn't need to worry about it. And you know, if, if a centre-back is mopping up that ball, you look at it and go, that goalkeeper's positioning was quite good. I think McAdams has maybe been hung out to dry by his defence a bit. You can still see at the point where the Cali Thistle player gets the other side of McGinty that McAdams could do better from that point. But yeah, I think the blame really has to go for McGinty, McGinty's positional sense there. Yeah, I think for all McAdams, could probably do better and would probably look back at those goals and think, that I... Yeah, I probably could have kept them out. I think there are a lot of issues before we get to that. I think the starting position of the midfield didn't fill me with a lot of hope. Again, the the gap between Fijotov trying to push the line out and McGinty is so far behind him that it, it creates this massive danger area that Cali Thistle, to their credit, moved the ball into very quickly and took advantage of. It was, if you're on the other side of the... If you're in, the Inverness side, it's all, it's a very incisive goal and a very well worked one. But the gap and the, the lack of cohesion between Fujotov and McGinty and getting the line out at the same time really cost us there. And you know, we're looking at the goals in isolation here, but just at that point in the game in general, there was so much momentum with Cali Thistle because they were completely overrun as a midfield. And I think that has to come back to the start of eleven and the combination of Blues and Omar. Um, sort of, I'm reluctant to, to criticise Blues too much because obviously got the equaliser. However, you know, we've seen that Blues and Omar partnership once before this season. Against St Mirren, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was that absolutely abject first half against St Mirren. And yeah, as a, as a combination, it was not any better tonight. Uh, if we focus on Omar, first of all, I don't know what position Raven Omar plays, but the two he's primarily been used in uh, for us have been you know, right-back slash right-wing-back and central midfielder. Whatever he is, he's not either of those things. You know, he's a guy who's spent 
you know, the bulk of his career in League Two. I'm not going to write him off and say Ravan Omar is definitely just a League Two player, but he's certainly done. He's certainly done nothing in his time at Morton to show that he's a Championship player. I think the kind of the point with Omar I've said before about project players and how I didn't think this was the season to to sign these guys and kind of gamble on them, but I think what we've seen so far from Omar's contributions is that not only at the moment is he not a central midfielder, he's not a championship level player at this point in time. Now, some of that some of that criticism has to be guided towards management who have persisted with him in central midfield when it, it is quite obvious that it doesn't work. But again, Omar himself, even if he is being played in a more natural position, I'm becoming less and less optimistic that there is a championship level player in there at the moment at least yeah I mean I think if you're going to use Ravan Omar you should be using him you know if we're setting up in loosely a sort of 4-2-3-1 shape he should be used in that three behind the striker somewhere in there if you're you know if you are going to put him in central midfield then I think you're just going to keep seeing performances like tonight where he just looked completely and utterly lost. And again, we're talking about Omar, not Blues here, but you know, maybe if you've gotten beside Jim McAllister, he's lying or Kyle Jacobs, he doesn't look quite as lost as he did tonight. But uh, he was just so out, of, so out of his depth. Both of those bookings he took, you know, neither of them are clever fouls where you want to take a booking for the team. They're both completely naive. They're the product of somebody who's either out of their debt, out of position, or both. And yeah, yeah it, the, it, it, it's starting to look like both. Yeah, I think the, the first one, if my memory serves, takes a heavy touch, I think. I don't think he realised that he was being crowded out to the extent he was. He takes a poor touch. Obviously, the ball gets turned over. He, he brings the guy down. It's a clear yellow for me. Second one, he's caught ahead of the ball. The positioning's poor. And again, it's it's just a case of he, he brings them down. There wasn't, yeah, as you said, it wasn't a clever team foul. It's sloppy. And I think tonight probably drills home the fact that in every single league game between now and the end of the season, at least one of McAllister, Lyon or Jacobs has to start in midfield. Yeah, absolutely. And we spoke, we spoke on Saturday about how it's going to be necessary for some rotation this week. Because you know, we've got Cali, Cali Thistle tonight, we've got our both on Saturday, we've got Wraith following midweek. Jim McAllister is too old to be playing all three of those games. And okay, Jenkins is out as well. But don't take McAllister and Lyon out in the same game. Just One Cornetto is brought to you in association with the Inverclyde Boiler Company. We are an Inverclyde-based, award-winning boiler company. Since our incorporation, we have established ourselves as the go-to company for all things boilers in Inverclyde, known for our unrivaled service and professionalism in fitting new boilers. We are now the lead accredited installer of Worcester Bosch and Ideal Boilers in Inverclyde, installing over 400 boilers last year, and that's no easy achievement. At the Inverclyde Boiler Company, the customer is everything. From our family to yours, the team will be with you every step of the way to ensure your boiler installation is as smooth, straightforward and simple as it can be. We are a company that takes pride in our staff along with the integrity and quality of our work. With our stringent quality control policies, 
and safety visits in place, you are guaranteed the highest quality of service, delivery, installation and aftercare. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. You can email us info at theinverclydeboilercompany.co.uk or call us on 01475 503 304. I tell you what, we will move on a little bit. We've not talked about our, our equaliser yet. Now, cracking work from Oliver, great striker play, gets round the fullback, creates that yard of space, delivery in, it's a, a lung-busting run from, from Cameron Blues, the exact sort of run that you need your central midfielders to contribute when you're down to 10 men and chasing the game. What were your thoughts on the goal? Oh, it's it's tremendous. I think the the, the main credit goes to, from, I'm not maybe to take anything away from Cameron Blues, despite the fact I've already been criticising him. But... <laughs> I'm going to sit and beat the guy for 10 minutes, but I'm not going to take anything away from him. <laughs> no, um, but Gary Oliver does tremendously there. It's like it was the the 89th minute and we were playing Dunfermline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, you know, Oliver's first touch there is fantastic. And it's great to see that it was knocking the ball past Wall Duffy. Get it up and <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, d- defenders called Duffy uh, not doing well in Scotland this season. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it was such intelligent play by Oliver. Just a brilliant first touch and yeah, it's, it's an excellent ball across. And yeah, yeah, you do have to absolutely give credit to Blues. And, and it's not the, it's not the first time he's made a run like that this season. Uh, either from from memory, I think his his goal against Queens Park in the League Cup was quite. Yeah, very... He's made that late run. In, he's made that run into the box, just absolute full pelt, and yeah, taking it first time. It's a really good finish. So yeah, full credit to him. On a more general point, where do you think Blues is in the pecking order to start in central midfield at the moment? If if currently the first choice is Lionel McAllister, you know, maybe maybe Jacobs comes in ahead of McAllister once once he's fully fit. You're always going to have to pair two of the three starters from Lyon, Jacobs, McAllister. They're just a level, a level above the rest for the option of your two sitting players. I would still say Chris Miller is ahead of Cameron Blues in that group. And yeah, if we're looking at performances from last season, and bear in mind all he's had this season is two sub appearances, we don't know if Chris Miller can hand him starting a game anymore. But I think Miller still brings an intelligence that Blues lacks. And again, it's sort of unfair to focus on Blues' negatives. You know, after he's made that contribution tonight, but in the way that Omar, you know, looked completely lost and out of his depth, you, you never get that sense for Cameron Blues. He doesn't look completely lost or out of his depth, like he shouldn't be there. Games just completely pass him by. You know, he's not, he, he's not Dylan Dykes. He just, you know, but he just completely drifts out, drifts out of games. You can never look at things he's doing and go, that's a complete liability. He doesn't do things like Omar did for the first 25 minutes or however long it was he was actually on the park tonight. But he just doesn't impose himself on games. And again, uh, I feel like I'm you know, repeating myself a bit. But yeah, it's unfair to focus on this after he has scored the goal that's won us a point when we've been behind the 10 men tonight. But you look at the way Reese Lyon can take, can take the game by the scruff of the neck. Cameron Blues isn't going to do that. And I think, yeah, Lyon, McAllister, Jacobs, and even Miller have to be ahead in the pecking order. Because I did, I did really raise an eyebrow at Miller coming on tonight, thinking Miller from Guffey at this point in the game, this seems a pretty unusual move. Bear in mind, we were still behind at the time. Even if Miller 
is struggling with the ball at his feet, which I don't think he did tonight. He brings such an intelligence. He's got you know, such a good reading of the game that he just stabilises the midfield. He's, really, he's still got something valuable to contribute in that sense. And I don't think Blues does in that same way. One thing that I did pick up on tonight to, to probably go on a little bit more of a positive spin, that was three or four clear-cut chances we created from set pieces. Obviously, we get the goal from McGinty. McGinty's chopped-off goal. Um, I'll ask you, obviously, your thoughts on that as well. Lewis Strap's long throw that I think, I can't remember, possibly Salkild at the back post should have gambled on. Again, Ledger missed the missed the chance. I think it was more a case of it falling to the wrong person. Does Is that an encouraging sign for you that we are creating so many set-piece chances? Yeah, absolutely. And this is the thing, again, with comparisons to, you know, bef- well, before Hawking left to now, obviously set-pieces were a central part of, of the game plan, were quite often the extent of the game plan under Hawking. But we so rarely actually created chances with them. We were sometimes very clinical and we'd get our one or two chances a game and we'd take them. But we've become more effective at picking up those second balls in the box, at players getting their head on the ball in the box. So yeah, it's very encouraging. Yeah, to touch on the the disallowed goal that would have made it two each in the first half. Yeah, that's not a foul. I can see where the referee's seeing that he thinks there's a foul there, that you know, McGinty's raised his hands into the defender's back. But it's one of my pet hates with football is how overprotected defenders are at set pieces. The example I would always give to sort of clarify my feelings on it, if a defender challenges an attacking player at a corner like that, is the referee going to give a penalty? No, no, of course he isn't. There's absolutely no chance he's given a penalty for that. So therefore, it's also not a free kick for the defending team for it. But that said, you know, Cali Thistle also had a disallowed goal uh, right on half time. Uh, from a corner and at least with, with our disallowed goal even though I absolutely don't think it's a foul in a million years I can see you know, what players the referee's looking at to, to give a foul there I have no idea what he was seeing for the for the Cali Thistle goal he disallowed there was no yeah I, we, there, there was barely a collision <laughs> between players there so so yeah no, the, we, that, that absolutely evened out we said that before we, we came on air I didn't see anything wrong with with Inverness's disallowed goal. I'm in the same camp as you. We are looking at the McGinty goal. I can see why the referee disallowed it, but I disagree strongly with it. I think the goal should have stood. I think he's using his frame and his leverage well. It is a good finish. It's encouraging. I thought Oliver's movement and control and kind of overall striker play, especially in the opening stages when we still had 10 men, I thought that was a step in the right direction and something that I've spoken about for weeks is something that we should look towards. I think, to my mind anyway, Oliver's done enough to justify starting on, starting again on Saturday. Then let's see if we can get a little bit more out of Aidan Nesbitt. I don't think Nesbitt was anywhere near his best tonight. Something again I said to you just before we, we started recording that I think more credit has to go to Inverness there because Inverness, I think, had identified him as the primary creator and set up accordingly and really snuffed them out. What are your thoughts on how we should line up on Saturday in an attacking sense? Yeah, I would keep that same front four. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought Oliver was excellent tonight. I thought he was. I thought he was our best player. You know, we've spoken 
plenty of times uh, with various people on this podcast talking about the you know why we think Oliver should have been replacing Aussie, and I think yeah, Oliver's performance tonight absolutely proves that argument. He he was excellent receiving the ball with his feet, and that the first half especially. How many fouls did he draw uh, with his back to goal? Just centre backs clapping through him, and a lot of them were yes, quite clearly dives. Uh, good, frankly. <laughs> yeah, again, so that, that, goes, that goes back to game intelligence and game management. I think one of my favourite ever Morton players who was very, very good, especially in the late stage of the games, at getting the ball into feet and drawing a foul was Peter McDonald. I don't, I, he was absolutely incredible at kind of game management and game intelligence and winning those little fouls. Oliver has that in his game, and especially. At times where you're being overrun, especially in midfield, just having your striker being able to win that foul and just slow the tempo of the game down, disrupt the opposition, get your team up the park, get the defenders a breather. I think in tight games, that skill is absolutely priceless. And I think that alone probably justifies why we should have Oliver in this team. Yeah, I want you to know that I'm really disappointed in you because when you were talking about one of your favourite Morton centre forwards who was good at buying fills there, I just assumed you were about to say Brian Wake. And <laughs> I'm quite dis- This is episode 22, and I don't think our Lord's had a mention yet. Um, we must have spoken about him when we were talking about the team of the decade, even though we only played four games this decade. Yeah. But, yeah, your card is marked. <laughs> but, but yes, but back to the serious uh, point. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Nesbitt, aye, he, he did not have uh, a good game tonight at all, especially in the second half. You know, there were those moments where you know, we were we were clearing the ball under pressure. He was the one picking up outside the box. He was just playing really, really sloppy pa- passes and putting the pressure right back on us again. Yeah, that's the kind of scenario where he needs to do better. That's not, you know, even if opposition have looked at him as, you know, our danger man that they need to mark out the game, that's the sort of scenario where, you know, he's getting space and time. You know, he needs to be picking his passes carefully. And it was sloppy. I thought, of the front four, I thought Nesbitt was the poorest of them tonight. You know, I thought McGuffey didn't really do much in the way of an end product, but I think there was enough there that I would be keeping him in the team. One Cornetto is brought to you in association with Denotter Retro Football Tops, who offer a variety of high-quality, modern reproductions of classic Morton shirts from years gone by, including the famous orange Umbro away shirt and the shirts from the 80s and 90s by match winner and New Olympic, with new designs being added regularly. You can visit them at www.denotter.scot and use the discount code MORTON10 to receive a 10% discount on your order. So, overall, do we credit Morton for fighting back to, to claim a draw with with 10 men, or was this a case of two games in a row where we've started poorly and given away two cheap goals and given ourselves too much of a battle? Right, I think you absolutely have to give the team credit for for their character and attitude without sounding too much like Jim McAnally. See, I'm doing it again. <laughs> 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 regardless of the reasons we got there we were 2-1 down with 10 men 
we came back to, to take a point. And watching that second half, you genuinely wouldn't have known that Cali Thistle had a man advantage. There are obviously caveats to that in that you know, that was Cali Thistle's first game in a month. Yeah. It, it was probably inevitable that they were going to tie at some point. And I think they were probably they probably got it wrong tactically in the sense of it did sort of look like they came out they came out for the second half and second year. It wasn't that they tired, you know, around the hour mark or anything. It was as if they came out and said, Aye, let's just sit on this and it'll be fine. Yeah, I think but, absolutely it's absolutely spot on there, I think. John Robertson came out in the second half and tried to manage the game, where I think if Inverness had been a little bit more brave on the ball and tried to maintain the intensity that they played the first half, I, I don't think they would have had any problem in getting another goal and killing the game off. I yeah, they've definitely got to look at two points dropped in that regard. And you know, if you're behind and you come back to take a point, we do have to look at that as a point one. However, you know, regardless of how the game played out, regardless of the fact that considering how it did go, it's a good point for us. That's like five games without a win. We've got two home games coming up in the next week. We really, really have to win on Saturday. You know, if we That was that it, was going to be my next question. Yeah. Is our growth now a must win game? Absolutely. And yeah, I suppose you can look at that and say, you know, if if we go out and beat our growth on Saturday, we're so far ahead of them that we're you know, it's going to take an absolutely ridiculous collapse on our part for, for them to be able to catch us. But I said in my match preview that, oh, shameless plug time, go to the Morton Forum. We've started out a brand new blogging section. We have match previews, feature articles. We have just uploaded a transcript of the Q&A that I did with Graham Barr on last week's episode of the podcast. So go and check that out. And that, plug was meant to go right at the very start but yeah, it probably sums up tonight that it didn't I'd also like to take a, an opportunity to say a big thank you to Gary Bradley at GBR Photography for letting us use all of his excellent match photographs it makes the match previews a lot better to, to read and hopefully you all enjoy them. So if we don't beat our growth on Saturday, that's going to be six games without a win, regardless of how comfortable a gap we've got over 9th and 10th that's a big problem the win has to come from somewhere. Don't win against Starbroth on Saturday. There's massive pressure going into the Wraith game. And once you get to the point of seven games without a win, I know we're maybe getting a bit of us ahead of ourselves there. Yeah, you're in trouble if you end up with a winless run that long. So we need to just put this to bed, uh, get the win on Saturday, and then we can stop looking over our shoulders and I know it maybe sounds a bit melodramatic to talk about looking over our shoulders when we've got such a cushion over 9th and 10th but it's that momentum that winless run while every side below is, is picking up points here and there and crucially making attacking signings we need to yeah. we need to just nip this in the bud yeah. I think when you combine the, the teams around us are both picking up points and are, in, are improving their squads and adding to their squads we have been on a very good run of late, but it's also worth bearing in mind that in the form table in our last five in the last five games in the championship, only eight have taken less points than we have. Okay, so we've talked about how you would line up in an attacking sense. Do you want to talk us through your, your back four and your midfield? Well, you'll be shocked to learn that I'm gonna go with McAdams and go. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, obviously Strap keeps his place at left back. Although again, you you'd mentioned on Saturday how you thought he didn't have his best game. I thought second half uh, tonight he really started to flag a bit. Just sort of the same way as Nesbitt, he got a bit sloppy. And don't be wrong, I, I still think Strap is very possibly the best player at the club. So I, I don't really want to get on his back. And yeah, he's still young enough that yeah he's going to have dips in his form. But for a guy who you know, you generally view as a sort of minimum 7 out of 10 every week, that's been a couple of games in a row where he's dipped a bit. Hopefully it's just uh, part of his learning curve that he's going to shrug it off. Again, we should have recruited in such a manner in the summer that if he was, whether it was fatigue, obviously playing 180 minutes of football, you know, Saturday and then tonight, we should have someone on the bench who can come on and get Strap off the pitch and make sure he's he's fully recovered and, and ready to go in the next game. Yes, but our sub-left back had been sent off while playing in central midfield after about 20 minutes. <laughs> yes, so, David, sorry, David, I... yes, David Hopkins recruitment. So, so yes, the rest of my back four, well, yes, Ledger at right back, obviously. I probably would put McLean back in for McGinty after, after tonight, I think. McGinty's been much better this season. It's maybe very harsh to bomb him out after one bad game, especially when Fjotov equally didn't play very well against Green of the South. But yeah, I think you know if you're going to rotate the squad and bring McLean back in at some point, I think yes, Saturday McGinty is probably the time to do it. I'm going to go with the contrary to that. I think for all I did talk about wanting to see McLean and Fjotov, I think we stick with. The, the back two as it is at the moment and maybe give McGinty a bit of a a bit of a psych up and say, listen, we need you to be we need you to perform today or here's what's going to happen and give him that opportunity. I think given the improvement and given how well he's played this season, let's give him the opportunity to play his way out of form rather than dropping him. Yeah, yeah, I think I uh, you can you can argue both cases reasonably enough and yeah I'm, I'm certainly not going to be upset whatever you know, whatever centre-back partnership we go with I'm not going to react the way I did to the uh, holding midfield to the way I did when I saw the left starting lineup for tonight <laughs> we've got your your back four and your attacking four who are your two sitting midfielders then I think you go back to Lionel McAllister on on the assumption that Jacobs is still out because we have no idea uh, why he's not involved because the club haven't told us what his injury is so well, your brother I don't know if you saw it your brother in our group chat had dug up something from the Inverness Courier to suggest that he was just coming back from a hamstring injury but the fact that we're having to find out from the Inverness Courier that Morton players have returned from injury is yeah it's great isn't it <laughs> but yeah I think you know, McAllister's got got his rest tonight. Obviously, there was going to have to be some rotation to protect his fitness. He's he's not played at all tonight, so I think it's going to be absolutely fine bringing McAllister back in. You know, Lions played less than 45 minutes tonight. Should, shouldn't be an issue at all for him to come back in, so yeah, I'd, I'd go back to McAllister and Lyon. Perfect. We will move on there to the topic that I was meant to go into at the start, but again, this has been the most unstructured podcast that we've ever recorded and probably ever will record. During the week, David interview gave a 
how would you describe it? And a blunt assessment and then an eyebrow-raising assessment of what happened at Morton. What did you make of the interview, first of all? You call it a blunt assessment. I call it a hagiography of his own career. Um, <laughs> okay, there's, there's two separate issues here that I think some Morton fans are maybe getting hung up on. They must focus on one. Well, both things can be entirely true. It's entirely possible for both the Morton board and David Hopkin to be in the wrong here. <laughs> so... If David Hopkins, as Morton manager, has been told uh, you know, you're being appointed as our manager and you will have full control over recruitment, and then at some point the board turn around and say to him, not that we want to cut your budget and you must get whatever amount off the wage bill by moving players on, but we want you to get rid of these specific players, then yeah, I think it's absolutely valid for David Hopkins to feel that he's been undermined in that scenario and feel that it's made his position untenable and decide to walk. And either way, it reflects badly on the board. <laughs> However, there's also the massive flip side to this argument, which is the absolute mess that has been David Hopkins' recruitment. And he also said in, in that interview that he had four signings lined up, while also saying in the interview that, I massively paraphrased, but essentially was saying, oh, he's appalled by the idea of having to let players go and he couldn't do that to any players. So hold on, you weren't wanting to let any players go, but you wanted to sign more players. You wanted to have a squad of 26. What? (laughs) That would be an insane size of squad for Hearts, never mind us. A 26-man squad in a 27-game season. (laughs) that's, um, That's a new approach. Yeah. Yeah, it's just insane. And you know, Hopkins spoke himself up at the end of that interview talking about how you know, he's eager to get back into management and you know, look at my record, you know, I've, I've won promotions, I've, I've you know, won a league title. Like, yes, you did win a league title Livingston, you did then win promotion the following season and, yeah, particularly the you know, promotion from the championship with Livingston was an absolutely fantastic achievement. And, you know, I think it's, become quite of a cliche with Livingston to say, regardless of what manager was in the post prior to Martindale, Ock Martindale was doing all the work. I think if you look at Livingston, that's not entirely true in the sense of coaching and tactics. Yeah, absolutely. I think you you could see a clear difference in Livingston from Hopkin to, very briefly, Kenny Miller to Gary Holt, uh, which is exactly why Kenny Miller didn't last very long in the job, because... They were a bit crap then. <laughs> if David Martindale had been picking the team for that whole time, there would have been no difference between all those managers being in the post. However, what what David Martindale was doing at Livingston, and we know he was doing this because it was his official job title that David Hopkins happily agreed he should have, was head of recruitment. David Hopkins wasn't making signings at Livingston, and the massive issue with Hopkin as Morton manager was his recruitment was an absolute mess. It's all well and good for Hopkin to say, to say and it still reflects badly on the board that it's an absolute joke for him to you know build a squad for a season starting in October, then be told in December that in January he's going to have to lose five or six of that squad. 
like, yeah, that reflects very badly on the modern board, regardless of how difficult it was for every club to budget for a season and then such unprecedented circumstances. However, it's absolutely a reflection on David Hawking that actually you could have ditched five or six players from the squad and we'd actually still have had adequate cover in every area of the park. Yeah, it's... Effectively, drop four forwards, we're fine. (laughs) Yeah, is it quite telling that you could theoretically release four or five players from this Morton squad and the squad would have the same deficiencies and same strengths as it currently does. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, the big the big shortages in this squad are obviously not having a sub-goalkeeper and you know, not having enough cover in defence. We're ridiculously top-heavy in the forwards, as everyone knows, to the point that I'm not going to bother listing them all. And even for those two sitting midfield positions, you've got McAllister, Lyon, Jacobs, Miller, Blues, and allegedly Omar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I do, I, I take with a pinch of salt. Again, I'm not one to defend the bottom board generally. However, I, I, I do think you have to take Hawkins, Hawkins' words with a pinch of salt in the sense of, He's now an unemployed manager sort of looking to put himself in the frame for work and it's important for him to make himself look good. But, you know, w- when he says, oh, yeah, I was I was told it had to be these specific players to go, is that actually how the conversation went? Or was it a, well, these players are, you know, the ones that could obviously be moved on if we're looking to move players on in the sense of, you know, you had McPake and McKeever on loan, who have apparently left the club. Still not heard anything from the club about that, but they now play for Harrogate Town and Motherwell, so I'm going to assume they've left the club. <laughs> um, you had you had Muirhead, who was out of contract. You had uh, Wallace, who, as far as I can remember, hasn't actually kicked a ball in the league. He came on as a sub against Queen's Park in the League Cup and against Partick in the League Cup. Not sure he's made a league appearance. I stand you, connection on this, but I don't think he has. Yeah. And then you've got the stockpile in central midfield where you could have said, obviously now you've got Chris Miller taking a far bigger role than he was before in the coaching, but you could say, well, move one of Blues or Miller on. You've got, you've got Jacobs McAllister Lyon still there. Regardless of the, the very, very real issues with the Morton board, which are about five podcasts in themselves. Very little in any of this reflects well on David Hawking. Well, that was going to be my next question. Do you think, given how the interview went, if you were a chairman looking to hire a new manager, what would your reaction be to the interview that Hawking gave in the manner in which he gave it? I mean, if I was a club chairman and... Every club is glad I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Having stood next to you in the cow shed for more years than I care to remember, I'm glad you're not. (laughs) Have managers ever been sacked at half-time before? This is why I will never be putting myself forward as a director of MCT. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I I mean, I probably wouldn't be wasting my time listening to Sports Sound if I was was (laughs) a chairman, but... No, I, I don't think... I would like to think, you know, ascribing uh, more sensible 
minds to them than I have myself. That chairmen aren't really going to be swayed by managers trying to self-aggrandise and you know in public too much. Then again, John Hughes actually got a job, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but but no, no, I mean, I, I would think that chairman would look at Hopkins' record and its own merits, and he, he can absolutely argue to quote Neil Lennon, mitigating circumstances <laughs> in the modern job. This is just turned into a comedy roast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, no, we can we can go much deeper with a comedy roast in Neil Lennon than that. <laughs> right. We're at fifty-two minutes. Go and move your arse here. Yeah, but but well, you asked me. I'm answering. <laughs> uh, no, I, I would think that if I was a club chairman, I would want to think very carefully about giving David Hopkins total control of recruitment if I was going to appoint them as, as as a manager. I would think he's maybe someone who is more suited to a head coach role because for all the criticisms we've made of you know bizarre team selections or lineups or whatever, I think you, there are definitely players you could point at over the course of last season who improved and you, you, know, you could say they were seeing a benefit of Hawkins coaching. Absolutely. I think our form our form heading into what turned out to be the the final few league games of the season. Performances improved, individual players improved, and not unsurprisingly, results improved. I think Hopkin has to get a lot of credit for that. It might have taken longer than he would have liked for his method and his way of playing to get across to this group of players, but I don't think anyone can argue that it didn't work at some point. Yeah, absolutely. For, for all that I genuinely at this point don't think we're missing him at all, I think Hopkin does definitely have merits as a manager. You know, he's not... Sorry, I was about to body someone else there. I'm not bother. <laughs> oh, Jonathan Janssen. Ah! <laughs> I'm about two names off a full house, so we need to keep this going for another couple of minutes. Well, I, I mean, I could have... I could have said James Grady as well as Jonathan Janssen. His name shall never be spoken on this podcast. <laughs> I'll probably edit that out, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I think that's been enough. Okay, we will leave it there. Um, just before we go, Craig, do you want to give us a, a quick score prediction for Saturday? I will go with a very dull 1-0 to Mott. It's not like me to make a positive prediction, so you know who to blame if we lose. Brilliant. All right, Craig, thank you very much for joining us and stay tuned, folks, as we have some information coming up about the new Get Moving with Morton initiative. Craig, thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Cheers for having me. Morton and the community have recently launched a new Get Moving with Morton initiative taking place via Zoom. I'm delighted to welcome Johnny Roy to the show, who is Morton and the community's health project worker. Johnny, thank you very much for joining us. How are you? Hi, Dean. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Brilliant. So talk us through this new initiative. Yep, so um, our new Get Moving with Morton programme, it's a, it's a 12-week health and fitness project, which we've... Um, designed ourselves and it's been funded by Inverclyde Health and Social Care Partnership. It's actually the 
it's actually the third time that we've tried to run this project. We um, we started off running it pre-COVID, and we only lasted about six weeks before the lockdown in March. And back then, it was um, just a male only a male only project that aims to um, increase increase physical activity, increase knowledge of um, health and nutrition. Basically, we also started one um, during the summer. Um, that was done by Ross McLaren, who's our employability uh, project manager, and he he basically managed that via Zoom while I was on furlough. Um, just basically with a group of men, trying to get them as active as we can doing um, Zoom classes, and this is our this is basically our third attempt at the the project. So this time round, we've decided to get local personal trainers Gary Pettigrew and Tiffany Brown on board. Um, basically, just because myself and Chief Executive uh, Brian McLaughlin joined in on their classes um, via Zoom, and we've both benefited massively from them. Um, so really, it was a it was a no brainer basically to try and get them on board. Um, they're, they're very um, very popular as well, so it'd be good to to get loads of bodies involved in this, and it's, uh, it's it's been really popular already. So we're going to get great numbers on this project, I think. Fantastic. So you mentioned there, it's male and female classes. Is that right? Yeah, male and female classes. Um, the male classes are going to be on a, a Monday evening um, with Gary doing the classes, and that's going to be from about six o'clock until 6.45, about half an hour, 45-minute class, and it starts on the 15th of February. And the female classes um, are with Tiffany Brown, who's Gary's girlfriend, and they're, they're from 6 to 6.45, and that's on a Wednesday night starting the 17th of February. People who do sign up to these classes, what kind of benefits will they receive after the 12 weeks? After the 12 weeks, um, what the programme basically gives us, um, it aims to get the participants increasing their activity and also increasing their knowledge of physical activity, health and nutrition. So what Gary and, what Gary and Tiffany will do is basically they'll just get all the participants involved in HIIT classes. Um, and on, on average, um, just from my personal experience and obviously Brian's experience as well, each class you're probably burning about 300 to 500 calories, which is a fantastic amount in that period of time. What myself, what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send out content to each participant every couple of weeks, um, and I'm basically going to send them content on food labels, um, the Eat Well Guide, um, alcohol takeaways, things like this, things that they can learn about diet and nutrition from as well. Fantastic. So you're looking to obviously increase physical activity and increase the amount of knowledge that participants have surrounding their bodies and what they can do perhaps in their own time as well as the classes to to maximise their your nutritional benefits. Absolutely, yeah. And um, from experience taking part in Gary and Tiffany's classes, you don't need a lot of room to, to do them either. And um, I personally just done them at the bottom at the bottom of my bed in my bedroom. You don't need a lot of space to do it. Um, and they, they certainly make you work really hard. So by the end of the classes, everybody everybody will be absolutely knackered. And, and that's what we're aiming for, basically. So people want to come back and do them again. And what advantages do you think there are having the classes take place via Zoom? I think so. Um, I think that there's probably some benefits to it because I think I think some people might be a little bit um, naive and, and not want to necessarily go to, to gyms. Obviously, the gyms are closed at the moment anyway. Um, but it just gives people a class to... It, it gives people a chance, sorry, to, to do a class like this in the comfort of their own home. And they obviously don't have to have their camera turned on either. So they can have their camera off and just watch Gary and Tiffany perform the class and, and just copy all their moves and, and just work out in, in a safe and comfortable environment. What date do the classes start on? The men's, as I said, the men's class uh, with Gary starts on the fifth Monday, the 15th of February at 6pm. 
And the female class starts with Tiffany on the 17th of February at 6pm. That's a Wednesday. Brilliant. And all the 12-week the course is free, is that right? 12-week course is absolutely free, yep. So you're not paying a single thing for this, so there's plenty of benefits to that. You're not paying a penny, and Gary and Tiffany are certainly going to work you hard, and, and we're aiming to give you, as I said, plenty of knowledge on physical activity, diet and nutrition as well. Where can people sign up for the classes? Um, people can sign up by emailing myself. Uh, my email address is jroy at mortoncommunity.net. Um, and basically what I'll do, if, if you want to email me and show me your interest, then I'll basically send you just a quick form that you fill in, send it back to me, and that's you registered for the classes. That was a brilliant guide as to everything that's going on with Get Moving with Morton. So thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much, Dean. Thanks for having me. Give me God,